This is Joseph Clare, and you're listening to George Fox Talks Theology. Yes, indeed, you are listening to uh, Joseph Clare, George Fox Talks Theology. This is your host. I'm so happy to be here today with my guest, my friend, my treasured colleague, Nijie Gupta, PhD, professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. Nijie has been all around the world, gotten degrees at great places, and he's editor-in-chief for great journals and written books. In fact, You've written so many books, Nijay, that I have to have a special bookshelf in my <laughs> office just to keep up with the Nijay Gupta um, collection. And most recently, Living the King, Jesus Gospel, Discipleship and Ministry. Then and now, cool tribute to your colleague and friend and mentor, Scott McKnight, also at Northern Threads, perfectly with the themes that I want to talk about today, a theology of citizenship citizenship, not a word that we maybe use as commonly as we should, but something that is pressing on us, I think, as American Christians today in ways that we don't think about um, frequently or clearly or biblically enough. So that's our task today. And as I say on every show, there's a theology of everything. Our lives are irreducibly spiritual, Mm -hmm. religious, even in a secular age. And there's even a theology of the political life or of citizenship. And so that's where we jump today. Nijia, how are you doing? Thanks, Joseph. It's good to be here. Good to see you again. Um, you know, I have great fond memories walking on the campus of George Fox University and being around wonderful colleagues here. So it's it's a pleasure to be with you. You've been here. You've taught many places, including George Fox and Portland Seminary. We got to co-teach this cool freshman class, I believe, yes. an introduction to the Christian faith in the Bible and in two semesters. So I have that rich memory and including hearing you talk um, about your own studies in the New Testament letters of Paul, which has been your home base, and the way in which Paul uses different metaphors and images to think about living the Christian life. And and I want to unpack that. We'll get there. But I want to back our way into the question of how Paul uses citizenship uh, language to think about the Christian life in Philippians even. We'll get really detailed, really biblical and textual, but let's begin at the highest level. There was a big article uh, that's kind of naming, I think, um, the zeitgeist that the evangelical church is in right now came out on Sunday, Peter Wenner, uh, in the Atlantic, it says, uh, entitled the evangelical church is breaking apart. He says that the root of the discord today lies in the fact that many Christians have embraced the worst aspects of our culture and our politics. When the Christian faith is politicized, churches become repositories, not of grace, but of grievances, places where tribal identities are reinforced, where fears are nurtured, and where aggression and nastiness are sacralized. The result is not only wounding the nation, it's having a devastating impact on the Christian faith. Okay, there's a lot there, but in short, it's the the politicization and polarization. The polarization of our nation has turned into a kind of politicization of the Christian faith, and there's deep divisions mirrored both out there in the culture and in politics internally in the church as well. So let's try to weave our way into it by asking this first big question. Is the Christian faith political, Nijay? Yeah, that's that's a great question. The answer is obviously yes, hmm. but we have to make a, a very important qualification. I like to, you know, I even did this in that Theo course that we taught together. I talk about the difference between capital P politics and lowercase p politics. So hmm. capital P politics is red versus blue. It's lobbying for your favorite candidate. Mm-hmm. It's saying that a good Christian will vote for X. Like that's, that's capital P politics. Yeah. The Christian voters guide that used to flow around. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous for a number of reasons. We can talk about that later. Lowercase P politics. uh, When we define, and you'll love this as, you know, given your classics and and patristics interest. So politics comes from the word polis, Mm. which means the city, right? And politics relates to activity, engagement, identity oriented towards the common good, Mm -hmm. 
right? So in the ancient, you know, in the ancient world, uh, I did a word study on the language of giving and receiving because it appears in Philippians chapter four. Paul says to the Philippians, you engage with me in, in relationship of giving and receiving. So I did a word study on that. And it most commonly comes up in the ancient world mm. in politics. Yep. That when you decide to be part of a city, a polis, mm-hmm. you engage in relationship of giving and receiving. Yep. Right. So, so uh, it's, it's actually counterintuitive according to that, that, you know, ancient Athenian kind of mentality. It's kind of counterintuitive to, to hold up signs that say my rights, my rights, my rights. We could talk about rights. It's important that people advocate for their rights, but the first impulse of mm-hmm. a citizen, um, and actually that could be problematic terminology. We'll talk about that later. I'd rather talk about Commonwealth, mm-hmm. but the first impulse <laughs> for a citizen uh, should be, about our participation in the polis, in mm-hmm. the in the civic good, yep. the civic community, the yep. common good. So Christianity should care a lot yep. about the common good, yep. right? When we're you know, when we're going to the grocery store and we're recognizing right now there's a supply chain supply chain issue mm. and there are bare shelves and we say mm-hmm. I need to buy a hundred packs uh, of of diapers or toilet paper, whatever that scarcity mindset, right? Mm-hmm. We're thinking about my good and not the common good. Right. Right. So that, that's a huge difference. When we think my rights, we're not actually using that biblical or even ancient yep. cultural yep. conception of the common good. That's a very modern. So we're going to hang on that question of how Christianity is political. If it is which you're suggesting it is, but highlight that for the listener that the difference between an ancient and a modern sense of politics is very vast. And it really is highlighted right there that we think in terms of individualism, individual rights and liberties and desires and I, me, me, mine. And then there's this thing like the state out there, especially if you live in the Pacific Northwest, it's like, I don't even know where it is back in DC. I guess people are in some marble buildings arguing about things right now. I don't really care. That's the state. Every once in a while I get a ballot in the mail, I drop it off in the box or I send it in that's politics. This is my life. In the ancient world, there's this much thicker sense of expanding kind of concentric circles of civic life. That's what the term constitution, where politics come from, comes from in Greek, politeia. It, it spoke of not only like the laws and institutional organization and order, but all of the customs and habits and forms of association you might have with like smaller clubs and local organizations and places where you would come and debate about the common interests of the community. That's like the Athenian uh, and Roman dream is that you would have like an ongoing dialogue about what the community's interests are and how they can be served. Hence why rhetoric ends up being so important as this kind of crowning yeah. chief liberal art in the ancient world, because you needed to be able to speak rationally, but also persuasively and beautifully if you're going to participate in the political community. Today, we don't have uh, much of that. We have this kind of bare, shorn sense of there's the I, the individual, and then there's like the state mechanism out there making these decisions. And, you know, Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam, um, the Harvard sociologist, this really important book was kind of highlighting the kind of emptying out of those rings of civic association between the individual and the state and how that actually hampers and hinders our life. So what I hear you saying, our Christians should care about politics, but it's not just about the voting booth. Is that right? Yeah. You know, we have to recognize some of the positives of individual liberty. I mean, we have voice in in, in unique ways now that people didn't have back then. You know, we we can't uh, paint a rosy picture of the ancient world, which had slavery and all kinds of other things, right? We, We value democracy. We value voting. But at the end of the day, you know, I think what we're experiencing now in the church, uh, Joseph, is um, this extreme form of um, individuation mm. uh, that that um, doesn't really depend on other people. When I try to share with my students the concept of fellowship, for mm-hmm. example, let's talk about that. Um, this would be a really, you know, fellowship is a Christianese term, but it would, but koinonia would be a really common term in the ancient world mm-hmm. for sharing. But the way I explain sharing is different than many people's conception of fellowship. So when I think of, when I hear the word fellowship, I think stick around for coffee and donuts after church. Mm-hmm. And most Which of the time I, I like to do, actually. well, I don't because yeah. I'm, I'm an introvert, believe it or not, Joseph. And so <laughs> I don't really talk to people at church. Yeah, that's why you have all the books. I, I have see, the book yeah. and I read it in church and I go home and. And then I'll interact with people on, you know, social media or I'll text somebody. <laughs> but uh, but we think of fellowship as sharing in the sense that mm-hmm. I have two cookies mm-hmm. and I'm going to give you a cookie. 
that's that's not sharing. That's mm. giving. Mm-hmm. And giving is great. You should give away the extra cookie, not least because of the calories. But <laughs> but sharing is like, you're my neighbor. Uh, you have a shovel. I don't have a shovel. And I say, can I borrow your shovel? Mm. Now we're sharing a shovel because you want that shovel back. And there's some risk there mm-hmm. with sharing. Yep. Right? It's not you go out and say, oh, I'm going to buy you a shovel. It's saying we're going to share that. Mm-hmm. And this creates this bond uh, of, of risk and benefit. Yeah. Right. The ancient writer, uh, Ben Sirach, you know, in Sirach, he has this great saying that I, that I love. He says, um, partner with your neighbor in their poverty, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, share money with them, share goods, because then when they're in riches, they'll share with you. Mm. And this is, it's kind of like a m- mutual destiny, mm-hmm. uh, that you're participating in. Sure. This would be the common conception of civic life. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, so I like to use the image of the locker room, mm-hmm. like the gym, the gym locker room, mm. right? This is a designated place. We've all paid dues and now we share this one space. So we're not going to trash it, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to leave garbage on the floor because we all use that locker room mm-hmm. space, right? right. You're not going to yep. trash the lockers. You're not going to, you know, you're going to clean up after yourself. Now this, we don't really have mm. a really clear conception of this in the church. And the pandemic's only made that more extreme because totally. now we're in our rooms, Totally. On a computer, yep. right? On my MacBook Pro and I'm watching from a distance. Right, yep. That doesn't mean I hate technology. There are ways that we can compensate for that. Mm. But this idea that we're in this together to sign up to be a Christian and actually to sign up to be part of a commonwealth yep. means that you receive benefits, yep. right? But you also have to do your part. And that do your part aspect, mm. we test the boundaries of that. We say, how little can I get away with? Yep. Now, I'll tell you, I'm probably a bad Commonwealth citizen because <laughs> I don't volunteer for things when I should. Mm. My wife, on the other hand, she was president of the PTA. She does neighborhood <laughs> cleanup stuff. Yeah, right. She does all kinds of stuff, right? Sure. She is the better model you know, of it in church, yep. in society, in community. I don't know, culturally, I'm not a cultural critic, how we got there. Mm. But I'll tell you what, when the Bible talks about being a good yeah. uh, citizen or, or member of a commonwealth, it's actually going to push our buttons in yeah. getting us to think more about how we contribute to the community. Totally. Well, that, you know, it's important to remember, as you know better than I, that 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's metaphor of the church as this body yeah. with lots of different parts that yes. rely on each other, he's a adopting and adapting that from an ancient understanding of the political world. Yes. That that's what the political community is. So we need your wife, uh, Amy. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. We need, we need you also. We need the, we need the brains. We need the hands. We need the heart. We need the everybody doing their part. Um, and yet I think at the highest level, there's a sense of our common interest, our destiny, MLK uses language all the time, is that our destiny is sort of stitched together with one another's. And until you can recognize that it's the mutual work and the mutual joy, uh, it's the freedoms, but also the responsibilities that we have, that that's what citizenship is. And in the ancient world, they just had a stronger sense of what that meant. To be a liber or a kiwesa citizen in, in Greece or Rome would have Uh, you would have clearly understood that you're entitled to certain kinds of freedom and treatment and privileges, but those come with certain responsibilities of participation and service and sacrifice. Hence you get this whole economy of patriotic loyalty Mm -hmm. and the idea that at the end of the day, the Commonwealth in Latin, the res publica, the thing of the people would have been able to call upon you in time of emergency or battle to be willing to give the ultimate sacrifice, which would be your own life. And of course that language comes all the way down and is very much present in the American democratic Republican imagination. So the question for you, if we turn to the scriptures now, so let's say to be a citizen is to be a member of a certain kind of political community. It entitles you to certain kinds of freedoms and treatment and rights and privileges, but it also includes certain forms of responsibility. Um, and in the political sense, we know what that means to be governed by the rule of law and, uh, you know, be beholden to a constitution, have the freedom to participate, um, in our democratic society, but let's wheel it back to the ancient world in the new Testament. Paul, uh, the new Testament in general, you say in that most recent, uh, chapter in this great book, uh, the new Testament's full of different images, metaphors, ways for thinking about the Christian life, about being children in a family, mm-hmm. um, about being a, a disciple or a student of a teacher. There's lots of different ways, walking in a certain way. But you say one 
neglected way of thinking about the life of a Christian and the the work of salvation is this language of citizenship that mm-hmm. Paul uses in the New Testament. Could you talk about what that means? Yeah, this really stands out, Joseph, because Paul doesn't do it all the time. So he seems to have, mm-hmm. have really dwell on this in, in Philippians, even though little little shades of it may come up elsewhere. But he seems to make this a big deal with this community. Um, it could be because Roman Philippi was a Roman colony. That doesn't mean everybody was a Roman citizen. In fact, Rome loved to show off who deserves to be a citizen and who doesn't. We could talk about that later hmm. uh, and how the Christians, in a sense, were different than that. But um, at least twice in Philippians, Paul uses in the Greek explicit political terminology. Hmm. First, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, um, live as good citizens or citizens in, in a manner worthy hmm. of, uh, of the gospel of Christ. Hmm. Uh, and then he talks about you know certain ethics and, and and unity and things like that. And then in chapter three he says, um, you know, our commonwealth is in the heavens. Mm. And uh, scholars make note of this all the time. Mm-hmm. But I decided to drill in deeper to try to figure out what what what, what does this really add? Because if you read modern translations like the NIV, mm. other translations, they don't really do much with this. So they might translate as "live your lives." Mm. I think it's more than that. I think it's pointing to um, a responsibility we have as representatives of something bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And so I talk about, um, so I did a word study. I love doing word studies. So I did a word study of politio, which mm-hmm. means to live a citizen, and polituma, which means commonwealth. And I discovered an interesting pattern mm-hmm. that uh, if the situation where that word is used is you in your own community, Mm-hmm. then being a good citizen means participating in the civic good, right? Cleaning up after yourself. If someone needs a volunteer for city council, you you do that. Mm-hmm. PTA, whatever, like you're going to do that. Um, you're going to take good care of your community. You're going to care about your community. But there's, I found an interesting pattern mm. where, you know, in the Roman world, you have people moving and migrating and traveling abroad. Mm. And then that language of being a good citizen takes on a different texture. Mm-hmm. What if you're, Joseph, you're traveling in Germany or you're traveling in Australia or traveling in India, mm. right? What does it mean to be a good citizen of, you know, the United States? Mm-hmm. Um, it, let's say you go to the World Cup, right? And you're, you know, yeah. you're representing America as a spectator, but you're, you know, you're watching a game against another country. What's your responsibility? Well, your responsibility is to showcase the ideals mm. and the virtue and the honor mm. of your home country, right? So you're not going to get petty. You're not going to, you know, get angry and hostile, you know, those kinds of things. You're going to be yep. a good representative right. of your community. Yep. And Paul's basically saying this to the Philippians, mm. saying, you know, our our kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean it's pie in the sky, but it means that's where we get our identity and our values and our virtues from. And in our present moment, we Christians live in another, we're, we're visitors, we're guests mm-hmm. in another country, yeah. right? We're resident aliens, so Re- to speak. Yes. And then our responsibility is to <clears throat> make sure that we're showcasing <clears throat> the virtue and honor and lifestyle and, and respect mm-hmm. of our home country and not necessarily what's going on around us. Yeah, that's a huge message, I think, to mm. bringing uh, our lifestyle and virtue from another place to bear in the place where we live. Yeah. So if if I if I hear you right, you're saying that Paul's claim in Philippians one twenty seven to walk in a manner worthy of this other kind of citizenship kind of compounds with Philippians three twenty. This famous claim, our citizenship is in heaven, is yeah. how it's usually yeah. translated. Although it's our commonwealth is in yeah. heaven, I think. Um, technically, that that gives us um, an other kind of citizenship, a heavenly citizenship, you might say, that should influence, impact, change, shape, enhance how we live in the here and now. So my question is, how do you get, how do you reconcile that heavenly citizenship with earthly citizenship? I heard you quickly kind of wipe away like, well, it's not a otherworldly escapist sort right, of like, right. yeah, I'm just on my way to heaven and going to trash the earth or don't care about total indifference to earthly political life. 
But you also did use the phrase resident aliens. And that idea of being a resident alien would presumably make you feel like, well, this isn't really my home and I'm just heading to my true home. Yeah. So let's not get too entangled. So how do you get the, the axes right? You that? know, it might be helpful to use language of membership. Mm. So in my wallet, I can pull out all kinds of cards, right? I'm a member of, um, you know, my local library. Mm. I'm a member of, you know, uh, I have a driver's license from Oregon. Right in my house, I have a passport that shows my membership, you know, as a citizen of the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, I have all kinds of memberships. They're not necessarily competing, but they're in different kind of concentric circles. Um, and so uh, that those those are aspects of our identity and the communities that we're a part of. Mm. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm a season ticket holder for you know the Portland Timbers. Are you? Uh, I'm not. Okay. But if you're one offering yeah, one <laughs> to <day>. buy me, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, that reflects um, that influence on me. Yeah. Right. And that in some way I want to um, be good and right in their eyes, even if in a little, if, even if in a small way, right. I have a Fred Meyer card, you know, I, right. I have all these things. Right. And I think the reality is, you know, within the biblical perspective, uh, we're not meant to it to be an either or mm -hmm. either we live in the world or we live in our kind of spiritual head. Right. Uh, but there is a sense of priority. Okay. Right. So, you know, uh, you can't serve both God and mammon wealth. Mm -hmm. mm. That doesn't mean you can't have money. Sure. But it means that there is a priority, yeah, a prime a hierarchy of that's right. order. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean we say, Oh, I, you know, it, let's say that the governor's giving a speech on mm. how to be a good citizen. Oh, that means I shouldn't go to that. Mm. That's not what that means. They may say wonderful things. Yeah. I can support that, but on a higher level, mm -hmm. what should most influence me mm -hmm. in my decision-making in my lifestyle in my virtues and my values in my speech is scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, is the spirits directing, yep. right? Is the great tradition, the Christian, great yep. Christian tradition. Um, and, and so it's not really competitive in that sense. That's really important to know. Um, I would be happy for Christians to run for office. Mm -hmm. I don't think that in and of itself is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, in 2016 where people were voting and, um, you know, I've talked to many people that, that say, you know, I shouldn't really care mm -hmm. what's going on in the political world because mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. And my response was, you know, my mentality comes from Paul, but from other Christians like Wesley that talk about, um, Paul says in Galatians 10, 5, uh, do good to all. Mm -hmm. And he says, especially the household of church, but he does to care about goodness for all. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a civic mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Do good to all. And, you know, I think Wesley is attributed with this quote, which um, it can't be proven, but I, I love to share with, with students uh, do all the goods you can mm -hmm. to everyone you can for as long as you can. I mean, right. that is a Christian mindset. Mm. And if we can, if we can vote for things that we feel like really reflects how we can bring the most amount of goodness, mm -hmm. right. We do so with humility. Yeah. I don't know I'm right, Yeah. but you know, it's that second naivete. We say, okay, I've tried to study up. I'm going to move forward with right. faith, knowing that if we vote for certain things that we feel like can bring goodness to the world, yep. that's a Christian thing. Totally. I feel, I feel those twin impulses in myself, especially since 2016, I feel like we're in this new era and the pandemic has added to it. But I think Christians have always been tempted by these twin errors, let's say, where there's like a total absorption um, of, religion into politics. So Christianity and politics yeah. actually like totally overlap to the point where they're the same kind of identity or this other twin error, which is a kind of resignation, cynicism, reluctance or retreat or withdrawal. And there've been a lot of, you know, really popular books over the past few years of like Christians. It is now we have is such a post-Christian society that it's now time to head for the hills basically, you know, right. and build these alternate you know, other policy, you know, these other political communities be an alternate reality to the world. Um, but you're saying that both of those are the wrong option an absorption or a retreat or a withdrawal. Is that right? Yeah. You know, and this is where we have to understand the limitations of scripture in the sense that people couldn't vote. Mm. Christians couldn't vote. I mean, the vast majority of Christians in the ancient world, mm -hmm 
were not citizens. Yeah. They were slaves. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they were women. Um, you know, I just read again how, you know, uh, Celsus, the, you know, the, the, the early uh, mm-hmm. opponent of Christianity yeah, yeah. says that Christianity is just a religion of a bunch of slaves, yeah. women and little children. Yep. Uh, the very people that don't have power in society. Mm, right. Mm. And so we're in a different situation now. Yeah. Um, you know, I always go back to Bonhoeffer. He's easy person to go back to, to say Bonhoeffer looked around and said, I can't help but live by compassion. Yeah. If that means I'm going to get my hands dirty in lowercase P politics mm-hmm. and to some degree, uppercase P politics, he did. Mm. And, and, Here's something really interesting. Same thing with Martin Luther King Jr. I don't know if you know the statistic, but Martin Luther King Jr. had a 75% disapproval rate in the year he died. Wow. And he has a 90 plus approval rate today. <laughs> yeah, sure. Wow. It, it is so crazy to me mm. to think about what he had to stand up against mm. in his own time. Mm. Um, and even Billy Graham, I don't know if you know this, but but Graham um, uh, sometimes supported uh, King. Mm-hmm. He was one of, the, of a very few people mm-hmm. that referred to him as Mike, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King Jr., his, his first given name wow. um, before it was changed. And um, so, so when we think about that, we also have to take a longer view of history, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, totally. Passions are high right now. Um, but yeah, I, you know, a lot of Christianity happens in the middle between complete checking out and saying my candidate is Jesus incarnate again. Right. You know, that, that totally, that is dangerous. Right. Um, I think you didn't ask me this, but I'll answer it. I think churches, I actually feel like churches should be responsible for helping inform, Mm. uh, congregants of the issues Mm -hmm. without taking sides. Sure. Yep. Um, in Oregon, I don't know if we have listeners outside of Oregon, they send you these big booklets. Mm-hmm. Do they do that here too? Where mm-hmm. they send you these big booklets where they talk through all the issues. I've never lived in a state that did that, mm. but we get these booklets around voting time where they'll talk through the issues. They'll kind of give True. pros and cons. They'll give you information on the background of the candidates, their education. They'll give you like which organizations support that. It tries to be neutral. Um, and, and I can't tell you how helpful it is. What if the church did that? I mean, right. it, it sounds crazy. Because the church shouldn't get its hands dirty. But um, again, I, I would encourage people who are checked out to say, uh, if the impulse of Christianity is compassion mm-hmm. and concern for the, all of God's creation, mm. what's the church's responsibility there? Yep. And I think there is a responsibility, even though I don't know if I know all the answers to what that is. Right. And that I think especially is where you see the mutually beneficial relationship between the church and the college and the kind of dream of the Christian liberal arts, which has been going on for 2000 years, yeah. Yeah. still alive for the past 130 years at a place like George Fox, where the work is not purely evangelization or catechesis or formation, although it can be that and it's beautiful when it is, but it also is informing and educating and yeah. giving people the skills and habits of mind and heart to be able to understand and reflect critically and charitably on issues without having to take a side. I mean, it'd be a funny thing. Uh, it's it's a kind of a crazy thing that churches make as much of a like a mincing stand on specific issues, but it'd be a really funny thing if a college or university does, and yet we've seen that as we well, have, right? Yeah. And so it's like, where is the role for fair-minded debate and reflection and dialogue? And that's why Christians, I think, latched on to the liberal arts, being a people of the book, people of language, saying, hey, gifts of the pagans here, like it's good to know how to use language, use quantitative analysis to seek truth about reality, faith-seeking understanding. And so again, anyways, a plug for our beloved university here. <laughs> I support that. <laughs> um, I, I, I think a big piece of the puzzle is social media. Mm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last year because, I mean, just sort of speaking honestly, um, I've experienced two or three situations of Mm. just getting obliterated, myself getting obliterated in social media and um, from professionals, you know, people that should know better in terms of discourse. And, you know, I'm a big boy and I can live with it. But um, what's interesting is on social media, uh, the standards are so low for mm. s- for civil discourse. Mm. 
And yet for so many people, that's becoming the dominant place that we engage with people. Mm. I remember meeting with my spiritual director, who's kind of like a therapist. And he asked me, uh, don't professors subscribe to some code of ethics for social media? I'm like, no, we have nothing like <laughs> no that. No one's ever thought of that. <laughs> no one's ever thought of that. And no one would sign it. I would sign it because oh, uh, it gets pretty ugly out there. But, but you know, misinformation, you know, I know, I know Twitter's Facebook, they're, they're getting hammered by FCC sure, and the government yeah. on, you know, trying to lock down. I mean, how mm-hmm. could you do that? There's so much out there that is, that is garbage. Insane, People are yeah. sharing things they've never yep. read uh, and, and complaining about them, all this stuff. So, okay, let's say we're just talking about Christians. Um, we're so flooded with misinformation. Mm. Um, I have a podcast. I don't know if you listen to it, Joseph. I, I have, yeah, okay. In Faith and Doubt. Is there you right? go, yeah. yeah. So, so my good friend AJ Swoboda, and we have a podcast. We've been talking a lot about something that we've termed slow theology. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, slow theology is reacting against the impulse that if you post something, Joseph, I have to comment on it mm-hmm. negatively and I have to comment on it now mm-hmm. because the news cycle is about 30 seconds mm-hmm. and I need to score big points with my people. Yeah. And I score a big point by making mm. you look stupid. Yeah. And I know I can do that because I have friends behind me who are patting my back. Mm-hmm. And slow theology says, maybe I don't need to comment. Maybe I should listen. Mm. Um, maybe I should read and follow people I disagree with, not just to harass them, but mm. to say, is there is there a takeaway for me from this? Mm. Um, do I need to take a month or a year before I respond? Mm. That sounds crazy. <laughs> right? So An I'm going to build your brand. That won't build your brand. <laughs> An hour on social media is equivalent of like two weeks in real time. Right? And and yet this, you know, so, so AJ and I have been talking a lot about this because mm. this is the world our kids are growing up in. Of instant reaction, totally. reactionaryism, snap judgment, yeah. passion driven, and it kills mm. civil discourse. Totally, totally. I mean, it, it kills it. Would you say that that? So I think we underestimate how important of a shift social media has been for communication and dialogue around things religious and political. The ancients knew this. That's why rhetoric was such an important part of yes. liberal arts education. It was the thing. It was the crowning liberal art, because it's the thing that actually goes out into the world and affects change through persuasion. We'd be fooling ourselves if we didn't see the digital forms of rhetoric, which are shaping our discourse as being fundamentally. um, So it's not just reimagining who we are as a people, but it could have these corrosive effects. And that's, I think the cipher for that is what's going on with Facebook and Twitter. People saying there's people that stand to gain by further polarization, further misinformation. Is there any accountability for those companies that are profiting from gaining? You know, I don't know. It's a, it's the question of the day. Question for me is, has that polarization and that kind of machine of rhetoric, is that responsible for the politicization of the Christian faith that Peter Winter was talking about that in an Atlantic article at the beginning? Would you say that's like the root, the key root cause? Uh, I think I think a way to get at that question is could could this have happened fifty years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could, but the acceleration and the extremity of it yeah. is so ramped up yep. by social media. Yep. Um, I'll tell you what an antidote is to this college. Mm. If you think about where young people are going to have long term relationships in an ideally patient environment. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes I lose hope, Joseph. <laughs> sometimes I lose hope in humanity. Oh, oh yeah. Um, but Welcome what one of the club. things that keeps me going is knowing that, especially residential colleges, mm. I, I value community college. I think community colleges should expand. I think they should exist. I think they should be free. That's my little Bernie Sanders plug there. There you go. Um, but... Uh, one of the things that keeps me really optimistic about my own kids who are in their kind of mm. middle school, high school years is college. Cause you get away and you have these long-term relationships mm. where someone can say to you, mm-hmm. um, are you being mature? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Are you, you know, are you, um, are you really taking time to think about this? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, are you going through a feedback loop? Right. You know, uh, for a lot of, you know, I have my own blog. And I blog. I don't really blog on opinion-related stuff. Mm. Um, I blog more on book reviews and things, and I just share information. 
but I've been working a lot with uh, Christian Today and Christian Century yeah. um, lately. You know what I love about that? Feedback. Mm. Sometimes harsh feedback. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so these editors, um, they're great, and they go back. They go at it with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be like, "Don't say this." They'll yep. just cut stuff out. Yeah. And then I can push back, but most of the time, but what I love about that is there is a um, critical feedback loop. Right. Of totally. people that want what's best for me, mm. but they have uh, responsibilities as well to totally. the organization, yep. to their audience. Totally. Integrity issues there as well. Yeah. And they push back. And sometimes in my worst moments, Joseph, I think I should have just put this on my blog and I could just say whatever I want. Yeah. And I realize it's actually so healthy to oh, know man. that they have my it's back. It's such a good reminder. Yes. And they're pushing, pushing on me and they're, and they're, um, and, and so, you know, it, it, AJ and I, we've written some things together and um, we really want that critical feedback. So yep. now when I write almost anything, especially professionally, mm. um, I have it go through six to 10 people. Sure. And yep. I say, be brutally honest yep. because I need to know what I can't see. Yep. And I don't think people do that anymore. No, well, that gives that does give me hope because I think the internet has changed it so intellectual production can be a total one person show. It's in, in it's instantaneous and immediate. But what gives me hope actually is just what you're saying that blogs have not obliterated every magazine and journal. Um, that online learning. Um, and YouTube has not obliterated every residential college and university right. that Amazon, which with the flip of a switch could wipe out publishing houses and editors and all these things has not done so because I think part of it is that dialogue. It's the community of reflection and intellectual yes. output that we need to keep you from the total atomization of just a thousand talking heads on your Twitter account from different parts of the world. We long for that engagement. We long to know where we're wrong or what blind spot we have. We actually want to be taught and not just be a talking head. And yet, man, the internet has changed the way we do that. So here's here's the, the antidote then to the politicization of the Christian faith. And I see these as kind of twin civil religions, actually. So civil religion is when politics and religion are totally unified, which was kind of common in the ancient world. Christianity is very unique in saying, Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render unto God the things mm-hmm. that are God's. That drives a small wedge between religion and politics, saying you can participate right. in the earthly city as Augustine will have it. Um, but you got to keep your mind fixed on the heavenly city. You can be dual citizens. There's yeah. an order of priority. So there's a goodness to earthly politics, but there's a, a height to heavenly politics that has to organize your life. But I think as we become increasingly post-Christian or secularized, politics has taken on a kind of religious urgency in the minds you are of, absolutely right. of people on the right and the left. And so this is the way I'll save myself from getting into too much trouble is the civil religion of America has a kind of ethno-nationalist triumphalism on one side, and it has a kind of um, agenda around social issues and different mm-hmm. forms of justice on the other that is that are conflating the message of Christ with a political agenda. Right, right. So a resistance to that is to remember this heavenly citizenship and to remember the heavenly citizenship is not a call to resignation or reluctance or retreat, but to engagement, but a kind of cooled down, moderate engagement with what politics actually can provide and what it can't provide. So could you, as we start to bring things in for a landing, just name what heavenly citizenship is? What are we even talking about? We're talking about some like celestial city, some king or founder up there. Like what is it and what are the virtues? What are the hallmarks of it? Yeah. Um, You know, okay. So we talk about things like the DC universe, the Marvel universe, right? Right. Um, We talk about these universes um, knowing they're fictional. Um. But we know that when you construct a world, that world has its own ideology. Mm-hmm. It has its own uh, ethos. It has its own religion. It ha- you know, and so when we talk about the heavenly, it's you know, we're not talking about a specific place. We're talking about you might even say a dimension. That sounds very sci-fi of me, <laughs> but you're actually talking about right. dimension. Yeah, right. And we might call it spiritual. I really feel uncomfortable with that word. Mm. Um, because it might sound 
um, abstract so or hypothetical, whimsical, ethereal. So you might yeah. call it the gospel dimension. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm already starting to think of who I want to direct this film, but yeah, uh, you know, the gospel dimension. So the gospel yeah. dimension, you know, is this reality, yeah. you know, a truer truth. Mm. And we live in that reality, even though we can't see it. Yeah. And so it's, it's like this dimension that we're, yeah. that we exist in, that we're a part of, mm. you know, f- f- that, that should be the true you know, you know, director indicator yeah. of our, of our identity. Yeah. Um, and so it's not a place, but, but it is a reality mm. and that reality. And, and, you know, so, so, you know, in life, we're constantly confronted by these two roads, yeah. the right thing to do and the, and the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Right. The Jesus way and the selfish way, mm. everything from the way we drive, the way we shop, who our friends are, mm. our work, how we use mm. money. It's everything. Mm. Politics, mm. sex, it's everything. Yep. yep. And so the gospel dimension, right, gives us the Jesus creed, love God, love neighbor. Mm. What I often talk about, cruciformity, mm. this idea that I'm going to do what God has directed me to do. Mm. You know, where? Well, in the Bible, but the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Philippians 2, the, the, the story of Christ. Mm. Right, putting putting uh, obedience to God and love of neighbor, mm. and the example of Christ above all things, mm. and that's going to lead me to do things. So let me give you a very small example that I use a lot. So I'm a selfish person, and I'm a kind of an OCD person. I like to be on time. There was one uh, many years ago where I was driving my daughter to her first day of kindergarten. We were living in Philadelphia, and I like to drive, so I'm right on time, maybe a couple minutes early. So we're driving, and I see someone in a car broken down uh, mm. side of the road, trying to push his car out of the road and into a parking lot. And my first instinct is I need to get my daughter to school. This person, someone else will come along. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what would my wife do? She would, so so we compromised. So what I did was I stopped the car. I mm. ran over to this car. I started pushing. I didn't say a word to the guy. He's pushing the back of his car. I'm pushing, 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 pushing. We spend two or three minutes doing that. I get back in my car and I leave. Now I didn't say a single word to him. It's <laughs> awesome. He didn't even he didn't even say a single word to me mm. because we he understood I was in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And so I just zip out. I do this and I leave. <laughs> and I don't always do things like that. And mm. you know, but but to me, that is what it means to be a gospel citizen. Mm. Yep. Right. To say, okay, if you're gonna gain the benefits of this Christian thing, it's not a tit for tat, but you gotta step up. Yep. Right. Yep. When you see things happen, you say, not my problem. Jesus says, yep. this is your problem. That yeah. person's problem is your problem. Step in there. Mm. Philippians chapter two, he says, look not to, only to your own interests, yeah. but to the interests of others. Yeah. And interest is a really interesting word. It's just a Greek uh, definite article in the plural. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, you have the, and I have the, mm. our the is just our crap. Just whatever crap we have going on, yeah. right? Don't just care about your own crap. I mean, that's what that's what being in Commonwealth is. Not just care about your own crap, but care about the crap of others, mm. right? When we say "not my problem," yeah, that is anti-gospel. Mm. That's living in the carnal dimension. Wow, right? And when we say, "I'm going to step in and help you because yeah. I want someone else to step in and help me," and Jesus helped me yeah. when I needed it and didn't deserve it, that's the gospel dimension. That's the gospel dimension. I love that dimensional element there is a strong dominant thread of this heavenly city in our citizenship all through scriptures you know there's the psalms talk about the city of god it's yeah, clearly yeah. like jerusalem and israel but also foreshadowing this bigger zion, city zion yeah. hebrews 11 abraham's sojourning toward this eternal city yeah, yeah. whose builder and architect is god and then the last like literally the last image in the bible is this city and it doesn't it clearly is so image rich and typological with its streets of gold that Mm -hmm. it's pointing to something a dimension a reality where god is the ruler um christ is the king and there's a city that's run it's a kind of political life that's run in a totally different and upside down way and i Mm -hmm. think you're right in philippians paul gives us that the beautiful ode to jesus as you call it in your chapter which is here's a different kind of founder who had all the power and authority in the world emptied himself out, brought himself really, really low 
for the sake of others to the point of death, right? We learn a lot of this when we have cross-cultural experiences. I know you've had a lot of, Joseph. Um, but I remember when I was in seminary, we went to visit a friend, a student friend who uh, uh, is a native uh, Ugandan. Mm. And we went to their house. And when we walked in uh, to their apartment building, opened the door, they had a piece of string mm. strung ac- across the door. And we're like, what's this about? And they, they gave us a pair of scissors. They said, when you cut this, then you officially have hospitality in our house and it's equally your house. I thought that's great. You know, so we have dinner with them. We eat some mm. good, we eat some good African food and then we leave and we're mm. walking back to our apartments, you know, five minute walk. We're about a quarter of the way and Beatrice uh, runs out to us. Mm-hmm. She's running top speed. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what's wrong? She said, you forgot your bananas. Mm-hmm. I said, what? She says, we have to give you a, a gift of food to take with you. Mm. Like, like this was really stressing her out Hmm. that she forgot to give us bananas. She gave us like three bananas. And uh, that is her bringing her culture, Mm -hmm. right? The best of her culture, the most beautiful things of her culture to bear in a foreign land, Mm. right? That she doesn't say to herself, I, you know, when in Rome, just Mm -hmm. do as the Romans do. Right. Yeah. There's an aspect of enculturation you do, but to say like, Mm I'm, you're going to have to like, you know, meme this or something. Are we bringing our gospel bananas to this world? Exactly. Are we bringing our gospel bananas? Mm. That's what it means to be a kingdom of the, of the King Jesus. I love, I love that image because so we've got this true commonwealth that's got its totally different and upside down morals, values. It's about humility over hubris. It's about a kind of contentment rather than greed, as you say. It's about a kind of obedience and submissiveness rather than pure self-assertion and will. And we're going to practice those customs, those values in a foreign land. In the same way you go, I, one of the things I loved about Chicago when I lived in the suburbs, and yeah, I know yeah. you love Chicago too, is you go to the Greek part of the city or these rich ethnic, you know, heritage driven parts of, of America's great cities where it's like, Oh no, you might be in Greece right now. Like you, you can, there's a little marble. Everyone's got little marble columns in front of their house with the flowers. And it's like, you wouldn't know if you weren't in a suburb of Athens right now and the souflakis flaming and the restaurants and everything. So I think that that gives us a sense of like, people should have a smell of the difference. The gospel bananas on us again, not as like this otherworldly like we no. are unrecognizably superior different but just like oh. a sense of an alternate form of of participation a citizenship a way of life in that thick ancient sense that smacks of a kind of wow they're not kind of driven by the other narratives of our society the consumerist narrative of amazon or the self-assertion narrative of disney or whatever it is yeah. it's just like yeah. something smacks of like a different way of life. That's really beautiful. My, my wife is a youth pastor and um, she tries to get our kids to bring their friends to youth group. And so mm. one time, one of my son's friends came to youth group, who's never been to youth group before, not, not churched. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from the heartland, I'm from Ohio, where everybody goes to youth group. Yeah, you've I mean, been. You're yeah. Hindu, Muslim, whatever. You all go to youth go, group. Yeah. Everybody goes, but here they don't go. And so this kid comes and he, and you know, so I asked him afterwards how to go. He was starstruck mm. by youth group. He's like, it's free. And they do all these games and they give you candy. Mm. I mean, he was just like, he was trying to figure out what the trick is. Like, mm. he's just like, why are all these volunteers and people doing this stuff? Or like, he's trying to figure out what do they get out of this? Because all they're doing is giving you stuff. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's used to a consumer mentality where like, okay, now they want me to sign up for this. Or now they want me to buy this. Like, yep. he's trying to figure out like, at what point the dues kick in? Yep. Or is this like yeah. a month of Netflix for free? And then, you know, he didn't, uh, he, he was just in awe. I've never seen this before. Mm. He was just in awe that there's this group of people mm. that literally just want to spoil these kids. Mm. Now, I'm not saying all Christians are good. I'm not saying all youth groups are good. I'm sure. not saying that people don't have bad motives. I'm just saying you saw the glimmer of the gospel in that kid's eyes mm. in that moment, mm. that, that this is what we were all about from the beginning, the graciousness of God. Yeah. The banquet that everyone's yeah. being brought in. He, he experienced gospel bananas. Gospel bananas. Where do you find EJ um, gospel bananas, the customs of the heavenly commonwealth most coming into 
conflict or confronting your this worldly life? Like personally, where do you find it? Okay. Uh, forgiveness. Mm. We are resentment harboring culture. Mm. We are a call out and cancel culture. Now, I do think things need to be canceled sometimes with sobriety, mm-hmm. right? But now our impulse in the world is condemn, mm-hmm. is tear down. And who p- <coughs> picks up the pieces <clears throat> yeah. of that, right? There are people on the other end of that, right? When we look at ancient Christianity, we are so proud today of mm. Christians caring for the least. Mm-hmm. But are we proud of the Christians caring for the greatest? Mm. No, we say, oh, the greatest don't deserve good things. They don't deserve Jesus. Mm. But the Christians were, you know, I like to say, you know, Paul was a pragmatist. He just wants everybody. You know? yeah. <laughs> Bring him in. He doesn't yeah. want the least. He wants the least and the greatest and everybody in between because of Jesus. Mm. And people want to say, oh, Jesus, you know, identified with the least. He also talked kindly to Roman uh, leaders and mm-hmm. he called out all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. But personally, you know, I had a recent recent experience where, you know, I had a conflict with somebody and I had every, I have every reason in my own mind to be angry with this person, Mm -hmm. even to hate them. Um, And I met my spiritual director as I do. And we talked through it and we said, you know, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but he said, what would Jesus do? Mm -hmm. And through gritted teeth, I said, uh, I need to meet with him and I need, I need to forgive him and I need to hear him out and see if I need to confess anything to him. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, he may not understand that relationship may not get better. Yeah. But what I can't do is harbor resentment and hatred. I love that quote. You may have heard this. Uh, resentment is where, um, is like drinking me, drinking poison, hoping you will die. Hmm. Um, and that's really stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, and then Gandhi and, and King have both said, um, I think, something to the degree of, you know, an eye for an eye leave the, leaves the whole world blind. Wow. And so what Christians can bring to the table, mm. and I'm going to hashtag here, slow theology. Yeah. That we're going to take baby steps. Yeah. We're not going to move at breakneck speed to, to judge and then move on. Mm-hmm. We're going to take the slow steps. Yeah. Um, we're going to seek love for the perpetrators of wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Today, the master virtue is loving the victim, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And we should, obviously. Yeah. But Christians, the Christian thing, right, is loving and caring for victims. And then also patiently, slowly, carefully, methodically, surgically, seeking love and restoration of perpetrators. Yeah. That I don't see happening. No. And it, because it implies a view of human nature that reckons with your own brokenness, that to see yourself in the perpetrator. Yeah. So again, not a complete identification with a child molester, yeah. or whoever the worst form of perpetrator you can think of is, that's not the moral magic, but the the gospel calculus is that in every other sinner, there's a recognition of oneself and that that changes the critique, changes the resentment, changes the possibility of forgiveness. I love I love Miroslav Volf's work in Exclusion and Embrace, which I'm sure you've read because it's it's one of the best theology books written ever. But he talks about hard it is, how hard it is to embrace mm. in conflict especially for the victim. Um, But he says what all, what both parties are called to Mm. is not necessarily embrace because there has to be restitution, all that, but the will to embrace. He says, he says all parties Mm. should be convicted and challenged to the will to embrace. Mm. And um, that I don't see happening. No. Uh, And I don't actually see Christians doing this much. Mm. But that is a gospel imperative totally. to say there are no qualifications mm. to who I should love. Yeah. And yet social media um, 
And I know you're a little bit of a hermit, Joseph, in the <laughs> sense that that's not your world. Yeah, yeah, I know. Teach me about it. But but uh, for s- I think about the next generation, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 how much they live in that world. Yeah. You know, and I have to tell my kids like that can't be your dominant world. Yeah, no, it's good. And I don't want to be a fuddy duddy. No, you know, they think I'm a fuddy duddy. I don't want to be you, a fuddy duddy. Oh well, man, people, my kids think of me. If you're a fuddy duddy, <laughs> holy cow! There's no hope for either yeah. of us. But I don't want to be fuddy duddy. But I realize it is, in a sense, an artificial reality. Yeah. People say, "Oh, but I have friends all over the world." But they're being curated mm. by big organizations sure, that exactly. now, if you've watched the social dilemma, that now regret. <laughs> Exactly. Regret the monster they've created. And so um, just recently, Joseph, I'll tell you this. I'll confess <laughs> it just to you. Don't tell anybody. Okay, don't tell anybody. But I bought the Freedom app, which mm. uh, which helps you block out social media at certain times of the day. Wow. So instead of just going there all the time, I use it sometimes, mm. right? I'll maybe say twice a day and to like answer messages or, you know, talk to people and say yep. hi. Yep. But to get your news, to get your, you know, to, to, to live, to let that world into your soul. Mm. And only those of us that have done that before know what that's like. Mm. Um, it creates chaos. Yeah. It creates chaos that you yourself don't know. So I know we got away from talking about politics, but I think this is an important part of that. No, this is the heart of it. Because Absolutely. it's about being, it's about being right. And if our being is in a world that feeds off of instant reaction, hatred yep. and instant reaction, love. Totally. Then we're not, living as gospel dimension people. Totally. Right? We're slow theology. Yeah. Right? You know this as a, as a classics person, uh, just the ability to sit and read mm. for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, scripture or totally. I just was reading Livy's History of Rome. Right. And don't you feel like it's harder and harder? It's getting Every harder week and it's harder. like I can't remember how I did that in grad school. It's happening. Something that AJ talked about which uh is really important that I didn't I heard this term for this uh for the first time from him and I think you'll appreciate this as a, as an educator. He talk about talks about how um the fact that we don't <clears throat> that we find information so instantly. Mm. He says we lose what's called serendipitous learning mm. where you're just reading a long text and you accidentally learn things mm-hmm. because we can be so precise in what we want to learn. Yeah. We just download that chapter right. from yeah. ATLA search for that word. Yeah. Yep. We just do a Google search, but the serendipitous learning totally right. The accidental learning that's a part of slow theology, yep. which we're missing now. And so when we get back to politics, I'm trying to bring this back around. Bring it around. I'm trying to bring this back to back around. If I were to talk to a church about how we can think about politics, mm-hmm. I would say slow down mm-hmm. and and let people know before they know you're a great thinker, mm. that you're an excellent listener. Yeah. And number two, make it a practice of spending time with people that you'd naturally disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and uh, befriend them in the sense that you know, you're going to, you're going to really um, hear them out and mm-hmm. be able to articulate well their heart and what they're saying. Yep. Um, that's a new way that we have to live in the world. And that means, and I, I think the reason why people don't do that is we think about what we lose. Mm-hmm. I know that I, that I gain people with a thousand likes or with 10,000 likes or, you know, we're both writers. Mm. Publishers want to know that we have a platform. Yep. I'm not saying give that up. But I've learned over the past year the dangers of building platform as a first priority. Right. I was in a mode of doing that, and uh, I, I went off track. Mm. I went off track with with my discipleship mm. because I treated that as a means to an end. Yeah. Um, and it became it became the the whole the whole thing. Totally. Totally. And so I'd say slow down. Yep. Listen. Yep. <clears throat> And I, I call this so help me God principle. Make choices knowing that you might be wrong. Mm-hmm. We, we have such a compulsive uh, desire to defend ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. To say I must be right. Yep. And and there's that humility that has to say I totally. I could be wrong. Like for example, I'm really passionate about women in ministry. My wife's a pastor, and I tell my students very openly I could be wrong. Mm. I don't think I am. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've I've read hundreds and hundreds of books. Right. I've written stuff on it, but I could be wrong. And so I want to keep listening. Totally. 
But that that's the recipe for true virtue is humility. It's a recipe for being a good citizen of a political community, recipe for being a good disciple of Christ, follower, and being in church. Um, Augustine says in the city of God, I think very in tune with what you're saying about Philippians 2, and Paul's vision is that our king and founder is unlike any other king and founder. He showed us a totally different kind of virtue. Yeah. Because being a citizen in the ancient world is about having kinds of virtues. You're just because you want to be fair right, and right. equitable. You're courageous because you might have to go to battle and sacrifice everything for the state. Christianity is like, those virtues are good. We're in for, for those virtues. They even see a lot of them throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. But the foundation of all virtue is this humility, which imitates the way of this, this king, this founder who goes low. And in that... Um, there's a kind of teachability. There's a kind of openness. We talk with our kids. Our motto for the year is out of that uh, Ezekiel uh, passage of having a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. Yeah. What does that mean in the context of going to school with your teachers and peers every day? Be teachable. Be a learner. Yeah. Be yeah. open. Be humble. And that it's just such a different perspective. It also includes, I think, an awareness of not just your own lack of knowledge, but your own moral defects and you know in in brokenness and i think that that there's a line in augustine city of god where he says the virtue of heavenly citizens on their way toward pilgriming toward the the heavenly commonwealth it's not so much about the perfection of virtue as it is an awareness um, of your brokenness and mm -hmm. he says we confess along the way and he says the hardest prayer to pray which is the sigh of heavenly citizens on pilgrimages forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us absolutely he said, that's that's the heart that's like the engine that keeps us moving toward the heavenly city it's a kind of deep um reflective awareness and it doesn't come through the kind of speed of snap judgment that our culture has sort of my gratitude. There's so much to say, but I'm going to bring us in for a landing, DJ, and give you an opportunity to invite us to become heavenly citizens. Okay. So think <laughs> about that. When you become a citizen in the United States from being a foreigner, you go through a naturalization process. And I think it's, it's one of the most beautiful, but unseen parts of American life. And if you're born in this country as a citizen, yeah. like I was, like you were, yeah. You don't do it. You're just born. So you're here. But if you come from the outside and you become a U.S. citizen at the height um, after preparation, training, a test, you have a ceremony where you take an oath and you say the oath of allegiance to become a citizen of the United States of America. And you say, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen that I will support and defend the constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. Hmm. That's a sobering, like, wow. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm renouncing any other yep, foreign yep. loyalties <laughs> and I'm committing myself even to the point of death to be a citizen. That sounds really important, really yeah. lofty. That's a big deal. This country, there's a lot to be proud of and also um, confessed as broken in this country's history. What does it mean to become a citizen of the heavenly common, or not to, what does it mean? How do we become a citizen of the heavenly commonwealth and and sort of like um, align ourselves with this other king? Yeah, well, you know, well, the first thing, and it's, it should be obvious, but I'll say it is if you if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you already are. Um, mm. And so what's nice is there isn't that sense of I'm going to get kicked out or, you know, there's a lesser than or greater than, you know, in the Roman world. Citizenship was for the elite. Mm. Um, most people didn't know that. So you can't really talk about citizens of a city of talk about inhabitants because mm -hmm. the citizens were few, right? Um, so in the kingdom of God, um, we are all equal as citizens, which mm. is unusual yeah. even for democratic Athenian yeah, <laughs> conceptions, sure. right? To say all are equal. Um, but how do we do that? Um, I'm going to put on my Bible scholar hat here and say, 
uh, we have to know our own constitution, mm. which is scriptures. Mm. And, um, you know, we have to, when we think about the influences on our life, you know, my students joke because I use so many movie quotes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and because I know movies well. And uh, for for you and, and for others and for my kids, you know, what what's what ideas and language is so deep in us that it's really coming through in what we say and do. Mm-hmm. And the amount of reading the Bible that people do is pretty low compared to Ted Lasso, which I love, by the way, uh, or Dune, you know, which I just saw, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we can talk about all these things and, oh, isn't that great? And I learned so much from this movie or that book or this novel, but the scriptures have to be so ingrained in us that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's going to call to mind the Beatitudes mm-hmm. uh, or key texts from Revelation 2 mm-hmm. or 3, right? Or Psalms, like you were talking about. You know, how do we do that? We have to know the scripture so well mm-hmm. that that when we step in, whenever we're at those forks in the road yeah, and we say, I don't have time, that's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm too nervous to talk to that person. That person doesn't deserve forgiveness, mm. right? Then the Lord's prayer steps in, that sort of right. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I will say, you know, one of the biggest ways that we do it now is loving and praying for our enemies. Mm. I, I can't think of any uh, more transformative in the Christian practice right now mm. in our cultural moment than to pray blessings, not just that they find out how wrong they are and how right I am. Uh, even the pagans do that, right? But that we pray uh, that God does great things mm. for the person that I think doesn't deserve it. Yep. Um, I don't think there's any richer way today mm. that we can uh, showcase the beauty of the gospel kingdom yeah. than that. That other city. Yeah. Our citizenship is in heaven. EJ, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a production of George Fox Digital. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the George Fox Talks podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you stream things on your phone or computer. Check us out on the web at georgefox.edu slash talks, where we have videos, publications, and more. And we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash George Fox Talks. 